0: This is Indigo Radio,
1: the radio, radio. Understanding. understanding making connection, making connection.
2: This is WVEWLP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Um, we are Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections, on the air every Sunday at noon. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and the guests, not the radio show. Last
3: week, uh, Marisa is going to be telling you what we were talking about. Last week, you joined um, me and Corey Sorensen, and we were talking about Betsy DeVos and the history of uh, the privatization of education in the United States. Um, and so we're going to connect to that this week by talking about healthcare, care, um, mainly about the privatization of healthcare as well. Um, Becca, do you want to start us off by talking a little bit about what's happening right now? Sure. I mean... We've been in the midst
2: of debates over whether or not to repeal affordable, um, Obama's Affordable Care Act. And we know that some of the pushes in Congress right now have, some of the bill legislation that's been pushed would leave 25 million people without insurance. And since these pushes have been unsuccessful, the Republicans are now leading the charge to pull back individual policies within the act. For example, earlier this month we saw Um, a legislation put forth to allow um, employees to decide whether or not birth control should be covered under their insurance plans based on religious reasons or not. Um, And we also know that um, the Senate just voted to cut $1.5 trillion from Medicare and Medicaid and give corporations a tax cut as well as the super rich. And so it's important for us to think about these health insurance debates within the context of who is gonna benefit. Um, and are we really able to live under a, a system that puts uh, the, private, the profit over people? is it possible for healthcare to actually meet the needs of people in this system?
3: Yeah, and we're gonna be talking with a few different people today. Um, Martha Allen, who is going to join us first, and um, after that we'll hear from Ellen Schwartz from the Vermont Workers' Center, as well as a doctor um, who will be talking to us about the implications for doctors um, in this world in which we live right now. So um, Nina, are we ready for a song? Yep. (laughs) We're going to take a short song break, and we are going to hear Pet Shop Boys um, called Shopping.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio at 107.7 FM, Brattleboro's community radio station. Today we're discussing the current state of healthcare system and whether or not uh, in the system that we live in, it's able to meet the needs of people. I'm Becca Polk. I'm a teacher in Springfield, Vermont, and I'm here in the studio with Marisa Nielsen. Hello. And we have Nina Kunimoto on the board today. We just are joined right now by Martha Allen, who's the Vermont president of the NEA. Thank you, Martha, for joining us today.
0: Well, thank you for having me. Hello, Becca, hello, Marisa. Mm-hmm.
2: And so we wanted to have you come on the air because most recently in Vermont in June, there was a big um, battle, I would say, over teachers' health insurance and health care with our new Governor Scott, and I was wondering if you could start out talking about that.
0: Sure. A little bit of background on that information. Uh, what happened was in the spring, during the legislative session, the School Boards Association and Superintendents Association brought a proposal to the Governor's office, and that's where it all started. And. Uh, then the governor put the proposal out to the legislature, and it was not uh, popular at all, but he pushed and pushed and um, threatened a veto of the budget, the whole state budget, if um, teachers were not stripped of their collective bargaining rights for um, health care. So it turned into quite a mess, and in the um, late hours uh, the House and Senate leaders uh, struck a deal with the governor to protect our collective bargaining rights. But in the process, what happened was school districts would then be penalized if they didn't save the amount of money that the governor thought could be saved um, if all teachers and support staff or all school employees were um, being employed by the governor, by the state. So that's the way it ended up. Uh, teachers and support staff were all back at the bargaining table, had already been bargaining, and um, now over uh, their heads loomed a penalty to school districts if that amount of uh, money, what fictitious money, wasn't saved. There was a formula put together. Um, and so, whatever the school district, um, however they fit into that formula, they would be um, shy of that amount of money when they got their state funding.
2: and so why do you think the governor chose to make I'm sorry, it about, I can just barely hear oh, you. Why do you think the governor chose to make it about health insurance? Uh, rather than other, like what was it about health insurance and why was it aimed at the teachers, do you think?
0: Well, I think that had to do with the VSBA and the Superintendents Association because um, the VHI, Vermont Education Health Initiative, is the group that um, runs most of, uh, pretty much all of the health care um, in the state for teachers and support staff. And because of some um, new plans that were being put into place starting January 1, 2018, um, the School Boards Association thought this would be a great opportunity while everybody was negotiating to move everything to the state level. So that's what happened. And the reason why the new plans were being developed by VHI, Um, was to become more in line with the uh, Affordable Care Act plans, the ones that are on our Vermont exchange. So it was timing.
3: Okay. Um, Martha, what currently is the NEA doing around ensuring good health care for teachers in our communities? Is there Well, fortunately,
0: uh, we've been settling contracts. Um, We have about 80% uh, of them give or take, um, settled at this point. And what Vermont NEA is doing is supporting the teachers who are sitting at the bargaining table. It's not lawyers at the bargaining table. It's teachers and support staff with assistance from our UNICERV folks who are also um, had been teachers. Um, There's a rumor out there that we have all kinds of lawyers doing the negotiating, and that's not true. The school boards have the lawyers. Anyway, what we're trying to do is keep our um, costs down. We, uh, the plans are somewhat similar, uh, but the premium rate is pretty much going up, and out-of-pocket costs are an issue. So what uh, we're trying very hard is to minimize the financial um, strain on our Vermont NEA members.
3: Hmm. I, I wonder, I mean, the... Can you connect this with sort of what's happening on a more national level, either in terms of just what's happening in our country, but also with other um, other states and struggles that they might be going through with the same thing? Well,
0: sure, um, a little bit, just briefly. The the good thing about VHI is that we established that with the School Boards Insurance Trust, Vermont NEA did, um, over 20 years ago. And because we had put the huge pool together you, of most all-school employees, we were able, to, and we had pretty healthy um, population, we were able to keep our insurance premiums really low, much lower than, than in the private sector and other places. Uh, so that has been working really well. Because of that, with the change in um, what's going on in the, at the national level, um, the damage for us seems to be much greater now uh, health insurance costs keep going up um, that's one of the issues that's been brought to light the just the basic um, increase in um, health insurance due to medical inflation or and our national health care inefficiencies are what's driving our premiums up it's not teachers and support staff negotiating with their local school boards. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, the school board association and superintendents association are are looking at what's happening at the national level. They want um, our teachers and support staff to have more skin in the game. They want us uh, to be paying more out-of-pocket. And... Uh, they seem to think that if we do that, then we won't go to the doctor as much. Well, mm-hmm. nationally, what happens when people don't go to the doctor is they get sick, and then they go to the doctor when they're very sick and they're not taking um, care of themselves properly. So the the whole idea of skin in the game to lower health care costs uh, doesn't quite work.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much, Martha. You know, it's such an important issue because across the board, m- Debates of healthcare are becoming such a divisive issue, and we really saw that in June. Both Marisa and I are teachers um, uh, in the union at the uh, with the NEA, and we saw the divisiveness in the communities that the governor was trying to pit teachers against the rest of the community around this healthcare issue. Uh, why are the teachers demanding more when the rest of their community doesn't have more? And Um, We know that unions have been essential in helping workers across the board meet their needs, including um, having medical care. And I'm wondering um, how you think the NEA can be part of a larger struggle for uh, Medicare for all, not just about the teachers, but about our students' lives and our students' families and the whole community.
0: Well, um, we've been supporting uh, single-payer or some form of Medicare for, for All something for all Vermonters for years. We've been uh, behind that effort all along the way, and we were very disappointed when that didn't work. Um, and it's unfortunate that communities are being um, convinced that it's the teacher's fault. And instead of trying to um, raise all boats, people are saying, Teachers have this. I don't. So the teacher shouldn't. It, it, we need to switch the conversation around to teachers have this and everyone deserves it. It's a right. And that's, that's where we want to change the conversation and see what we can do to bring everybody um, into having good health care. It's important. Obviously, teachers and support staff have it. Um, and one, to one extent or another. And um, we want our families, fortunately most of our students are on Dr. Dinosaur or some kind of plan like that And if they need to be. And, and we want our, our students' families and parents to be on have good health insurance, especially with our concern about the opiate crisis that we've been struggling with, as, as you two, I'm sure, are well aware in your schools. We really need to have a lot of mental health uh, services available for for everybody, and um, taking and punishing teachers and support staff is not the way to solve this problem at all.
3: Right. Thank you very much, Martha. It's um, very nice to hear from you about this, and um, I think this connects really well. I'm I'm on the task force with you, the Racial Justice Task Force, and I mm-hmm. I hear um, you know I think that these are very connected. Um, Just one last question. Is there anything um, on that racial justice task force team that's being done that's um, aligned with this struggle?
0: Well, um, I think that when we talk about there are lots of things I could go on for a long time with racial justice issues, but... um, we're finding that studies show that um, people of color have more health issues due to um, racial discrimination, um, stress that doesn't stop, that's um, day in and day out. As we all know, stress is a t- it can lead to all kinds of health issues, and so uh, trying to find a way to provide health insurance for everyone um, really um, would would help in this regard and. I think that, um, once again, we want our families and the parents and the children to have health coverage. It, it just doesn't make sense that they don't have it.
3: Exactly. Well, thank you very much, Martha. It's been wonderful chatting with you. Um, we hope to chat with you again sometime on Indigo Radio. Um, but thank you so much for your time.
0: Thank you very much. Nice
3: to talk we're Thank you, Martha. Um, that was Martha Allen, the president of the Vermont NEA. Um, this is Indigo Radio. We are going to go to a short song break. Um, Bruce Springsteen, How Can a Poor Man Stand Such Times and Live? And then we will be back.
4: It's what happens when political cronyism guts the very agencies that are supposed to serve American citizens in times of trial and hardship... this is what happens when people play political games with other people's lives. This is a song by a fellow named Blind Alfred Reed. Uh, I recorded it a week after the stock market crash. It presaged the Great Depression. Um, I kept the first verse and I wrote uh, three more. This is for New Orleans tonight. Dedicated to a president bystander. <laughs> Good How can a poor man stand such times and live?
5: doctor comes round here with his face so bright, and he says in a little while you'll be all right, but all he gives is a humble pill, a dose of dope and a great big bill. Tell me, how can a poor man stand such times and... said, me and my old school pals had some mighty high times right here. And what happened to you poor folks? Well, it just ain't fair. He took a look around, gave a little pep talk. Said, I'm with you. Then he took a little walk. Tell me, how can a poor man stand such time? There's bodies floating on canal and the levee's gone to hill. Martha, get me my 16-gauge and some dry shells Them who got, got out of town And them who ain't got left to drown
1: Tell me, how can a poor
5: stand such times? And
2: Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro's community radio station. We just heard from Martha Allen, the president of the Vermont uh, NEA, which is the National Educators Association Union. And today we're talking about um, the fact that uh, there's a lot of debates around healthcare system, and we're analyzing them and whether or not even within these parameters – healthcare in this country can actually meet the needs of people. We are joined now in studio by Ellen Schwartz, who's the Vermont Workers' Center president. Thank you so much, Ellen, for being
6: here with us. Thank you for having me.
2: And so um, the Vermont Workers' Center has been organizing around healthcare for all since 2008. And we were wondering if you could briefly describe this campaign and the reasons why you all chose to focus on healthcare.
6: I'm sure I'd be happy to. So the aim of the campaign, is to transform our healthcare system from one that treats our health as a commodity, to one that's based on human rights principles. And by human rights principles, we mean universality, equity, accountability, participation, and um, transparency. And um, between 2008 and 2011, we organized successive waves of masses of people that um, were pushing for. Vermont to have a universal health care law and we actually achieved the passage of a law. It's called Act 48. It was supposed to establish a universal health care system called um, Green Mountain Care. Um, As many of your listeners may know, that was um, ultimately uh, derailed by former Governor Shumlin and the sticking point, not surprisingly, was the equitable financing of it when it came to push came to shove, he was more willing to listen to the voices of the business roundtable and other business cronies than the voices of lots of people who really are needing healthcare and continue to need healthcare. So the campaign, we continue to organize for the full implementation of Act 48, which we see as the path forward in Vermont. Um, The second part of your question was, why would we be organizing around healthcare as a workers' rights organization? Um, we really see healthcare as an issue that affects poor and working class uh, people across many, and has the potential to unite us across many divides, s- such as um, divisions of race, divisions of gender, immigration status, um, ability or disability, whether you're a unionized or non-unionized worker. And um, we, we really see it as an issue that people connect to because it's so it's so personal and it's also related to our ability to actually survive there's a lot of anger right now against um, companies that are profiting off of our health but very often that anger is people feel very alone with it and, and sometimes even feel like it's their fault that they can't provide health care for themselves and their families and our healthcare system actually propagates that view by talking about things like personal responsibility and, and really not Addressing the systemic reasons why people are not able to get health care. So, we really see it as like a, a unifying, a potentially unifying movement. Yeah,
2: that's so important because a lot of the critiques that I've seen against the Affordable Care Act are that people who were um, not insured are now insured and they don't know how to navigate the system and so they're mm-hmm. using it the wrong way, and that's why. It's so expensive because they go to the emergency room rather than knowing how to use a primary care physician. So it's all about the blaming of individuals mm-hmm. for their own uh, conditions. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if you can, um, I know the Vermont Worker Center did a big um, campaign or um, study about the experience of Vermonters within their experiences with health and specifically within the corporate healthcare system and I'm wondering if you could share some of those stories.
6: Yeah, so we um we do a, we continue to do a lot of canvassing and I'll just sort of name like some of the really big issues that come up. In spite of the fact that a lot of people in Vermont do have insurance, there continue to be people who actually don't have health insurance and we hear about that when we talk to people and the main reason they don't have it is they have they're making a little bit too much to be on Medicaid. But they can't actually afford the premiums on vermont health connect and so they end up paying the penalty or they realize if they paid the premium they'd only be able to afford a bronze plan and they'd never be able to meet the deductible so what's the point of buying insurance if you're not going to use it Um, there's another thing i should just say at the outset is like under the current climate what we hear a lot is that people are feeling very anxious even if they have insurance because every day you hear in the news about something different, like they're going to be cutting Medicaid, or Trump wants to take away the subsidies, and people don't know like, what that's going to mean for them. And for something that's as personal as health care and as sort of life-sustaining, there's a tremendous amount of anxiety, even among people who have health care. Um, some of the people we talk to have health insurance, but they actually um, don't use it for regular preventive care because they can't meet the deductible. Um, I've talked to a surprising number of people who've said that they stay in poverty because they have Medicaid and they have medical issues and they need their Medicaid, and so if they earn too much, Mm -hmm. they're going to lose their Medicaid and then they're not going to have health insurance, but they don't want to stay in poverty. They'd like to be able to earn a little more, but they can't afford to because of the health insurance. Then there's sort of things like uncovered services, so you have health insurance. But that's often true for, like, mental health or substance abuse services. Like, who your provider is matters. Or you get a certain number of visits and you need more, but it's no longer covered. Physical therapy is another thing like that. Or services that just aren't covered at all. Um, I know Planned Parenthood in Vermont is doing a big push, the local one in Brattleboro, to get abortion services available in Brattleboro where they currently aren't, which brings up another (laughs) issue we hear about a lot, which is transportation. Like, people could get a service, people on Medicaid can actually get dental care, but there's nobody here who provides it, and they don't have transportation to go to Rutland or Chester or wherever the dentist is. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, sometimes we've heard about things like the lack of culturally competent providers, so um, people in the transgender community who aren't able to find providers who actually understand their conditions or... Um, people of color who aren't able to find culturally competent providers. Um, And then the opioid epidemic is a huge one that we've heard about. And there have just been recently some exposés about um, the Purdue Pharma, which is the company that's profited off of um, marketing OxyContin. And then there was just one about... um, a company called Insys Therapeutics, which is the one that's profiting off of fentanyl, and all these people are raking in huge amounts of money, and yet when we talk to people about health care, just about everybody we've talked to has in some way or other been affected by the ap- opioid epidemic in really de- devastating ways. Mm. So those are just a few. I could go on. <laughs> yeah. but.
2: So you talked about um, healthcare care as a human right, and I'm wondering um, if you could... Explain what you mean by that, and also talk about um, whether or not you think human rights can be fully achieved under a capitalist
6: system. Okay, so that's a lot. <laughs> so when we, at the Worker Center, when we talk about um, healthcare as a human right, we act, what we mean is basically that like, our human rights come from our, our basic needs. So we all need healthcare, and that's the reason it's a human right. And that what it means is that everybody has access to the healthcare that they need, including the living conditions that enable you to be healthy. So that would include having access to food, having access to a clean environment, having access to housing, as well as being able to see healthcare providers. And we use um, five human rights principles. So universality, meaning that it's accessible to everybody without barriers. Equity, meaning that um, you pay what you can. So, that would be like an equitable tax system to pay for healthcare as a public good, would be an example of that. Accountability, meaning that the healthcare system actually needs to be accountable to the people it serves and not, say, to the bottom line of Blue Cross and Blue Shield, which is what we all heard about at the Green Mountain Board hearings. Um, transparency, meaning that we actually need to be able to see what's happening in our healthcare system, it shouldn't be hidden behind paywalls and um, participation, which means that we get to participate in decisions about our health. And then an additional one, it's not additional, it's not one of those original five, is non-discrimination, which is also part of universality, that if a system is universal, it wouldn't discriminate. Um, And then the second question you asked is whether it can be achieved under a capitalist system. So I would say in an absolute sense, no, because a capitalist system is really about Maximizing profits and it doesn't really have anything to do with human rights. Um, but I think of the question in a different way. Like the way I think about it, it's a question about strategy. So if I just thought, like, oh, it's not possible and we live in a capitalist system, I would give up. Like, what would be the point of even organizing around healthcare? But the way that I look at it and the way that we look at it in the Workers Center is like, how can a building a movement to transform a private system that is based on greed and profiteering into a system that's actually based on moral principles and based on our right to have something as fundamental as health care how could that actually transform our economic system into one that's more just so like we're living in a time right now when lots of things are being privatized including things like public schools um, maybe somewhat less in Vermont because we don't have charter schools here, but there's really a push for privatization of the national parks. Is like, you know, they're like these huge user fees and the idea that of uniting poor and working people around transforming something that's based on greed and profit into something that's based on human rights is a way to undercut and transform the capitalist system and it's, it's It's not going to overthrow capitalism, but it can sort of put chinks into it. Um, do you
3: think that there's a difference between uh human uh, the human right for health care versus everybody being a healthy human being, or do you think do you find them to be
6: the same? Um, I think there is a difference between them um, like first of all, it's not humanly possible for everybody to be a healthy human being because we all we all get sick. It's, I mean, we all get sick. We all die at some point. So we can't all be healthy all the time. The human right to health care is about our having access to both the environmental conditions like food, housing, clean environment, and medical care that enable us to maintain our maximal health and be as healthy as we can. But I don't think, that, I don't think it's realistic to say that we're all going to be healthy all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing I would say about the human right to health care is that it's about acknowledging, um, I'd say two other things. It's about acknowledging that there are social determinants of health and that whether I, as an individual, am healthy at any given moment isn't only about choices that I make, that there are environmental conditions and social conditions that affect all of our health. And the other thing about that for when we think about the worker center when we talk about the human right to health care we're also including the rights of healthcare care workers to have um, livable wages and um, dignified working conditions because they deserve that but, and also because as patients we, we need to have health care workers who are well paid, well rested have safe staffing levels and those things like that.
2: Thank you so much, I think that's so important to thinking about um, what what are the struggles that we do take part in mm-hmm. um, and for what purpose. And I think no matter what system we're living under, we wanna ensure that people are able to get, like our the technology around medicine is so advanced and the fact that people are still dying from preventable things is absurd and f- the like primary concern is around people's lives. And so we have to constantly be bringing the conversation back to that and remembering um, that we're all human beings. Right. And so thank you so much and for the work that the Vermont Workers' Center is doing. Um, we're gonna end thank it you. there and go to a song. It's called Healthcare, We Need It Now.
7: expensive can't afford it anymore
1: no money for the doctor our health is getting really poor and, and I wonder if it ever crossed your mind to us it happens all It's a quarter after one, I broke my leg and I need care now. I used to have a job, but they let me go and I need care now. And I don't know how I can do without, I just need care now. Unemployment check just arrived at the door Wishing that I had the job that I did before I wonder if it ever cross your mind? Porch As 2 is located at 648 Putney Road
5: in Brattleboro, Vermont, serving soups, sandwiches, and salads Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. Food is their passion, and they strive to use local, all-natural ingredients when possible. They also cater. For more information about The Porch 2, call 802-579-1433 or go to their website at www.theporch2too.com. They also have a Facebook page, The Porch 2, a proud underwriter of WVEW.
3: Welcome back. This is Indigo Radio, streaming Sundays at noon from 12 to 1. Um, You're in the studio with Becca Polk and Marisa, and um, Becca's going to introduce our next guest.
2: So, on the phone with us right now, we have Dr. Runa Ray, who's a family doctor and public health specialist. This is actually her second time joining us on Indigo Radio. Runa, can you hear us?
7: I can, thanks. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for coming back on. So, on our show today, we've been talking about um, campaigns specifically in Vermont around um, the struggle for health care for teachers in the union, um, but also in general, the Vermont Workers' Center has been leading a campaign for universal health care in Vermont. And so we just wanted to have you on today as someone who's practicing medicine to talk about um, your thoughts around the current health care debates and how they're impacting the work of doctors and the patients' lives that you see.
7: Hmm. Um, so, uh, thanks for having me. Um, it's really exciting to hear about the work that's happening in Vermont. I didn't know about that. Um, I, I, You know, right now we practice in um, a, a, a health system that's really driven by um, profit motive, mostly profit motive of the insurance companies, the pharmaceutical industry, and the hospital industry. And they are ultimately accountable to their um, you know their CEO 's salaries and their shareholders, their stockholders, um, and not to um, the public health and to science and so um, what ends up happening is that you know patients see it, and uh, medical providers and healthcare workers see it also that a lot of our priorities in um, how healthcare is practiced is often sort of set by um, economic demands and not like healthcare needs, people's healthcare needs. Um, So, you know, for example, a very simple example of this is like the length of visit. Um, You know, as uh, most doctors, they um, are under a lot of pressure uh, to see a lot of patients. in order to kind of pay the bottom line for the clinic or hospital that they work in. Um, I work primarily in the outpatient settings, so that's kind of what I'm thinking of. And, you know, most patients are aware that their visits with their doctors are often 15 or 20 minutes long. And, you know, for a handful of people, that's an appropriate amount of time. Um You know, if they don 't have too many things they need to talk to their doctor about, but for a lot of people who have a lot of chronic medical problems or sometimes like emotional issues they want to work through or just you know they 're seeking reassurance or have questions, fifteen or twenty minutes is not um, not enough time, and um, neither the doctor nor the patient really has any power in um, in this setting to to change the amount of time that we get to talk about things and um, you know, and as a result, I think uh it's very dissatisfying and um for the doctor and the patient um and creates like a system in which um you know needs needs go unmet um and there's a lot of stress on both like the doctor and the patient um and you know so that fifteen minute visit or the twenty minute visit is not you know based on any like scientific research about the how long the visit should be or, like, um, on the clinician's assessment of um, how much time, like, the patient might need to work on a certain issue. Instead, it's kind of set by, um, you know, the the reimbursement structure, uh, which ultimately becomes a matter of how much money is each clinic going to get from the um, insurance company and how many patients do we need to see a day in order to, you know, meet our budget. Um, and that's not really how medicine should be practiced, you know, like we should really be defining um, how the health system is built, both at like the really microscopic level, like, um, you know, in the clinic, but also on the macroscopic level, like in our states and across the country, based on people's healthcare care needs, you know, we should be looking at the population and saying how much, um, you know, like how much of certain kinds of diseases um, do we have in a certain population? How many young people do we have? How many old people do we have? And how do we distribute um, like our health care resources, you know, which is, you know, includes especially healthcare workers of all different sorts. Two different places, based on um, you know, based on health needs, and then you know, it really should prompt a discussion of like, do we have enough healthcare workers, and if not, how do we start to build our education systems to really create the kind of um, you know, like healthcare workforce that we need. So, you know, again, I think that a lot of this is about really changing the um, the conversation around healthcare and healthcare policy to ask the question, what are human needs and healthcare needs and medical needs for the population? Um, and how can we, like, design our society around that? Um, so I think a lot of the, Um, sort of the ideological or ethical argument that's happening, both it sounds like in Vermont at the state level, but also nationally is really an ethical one about, um, you know, how do we design our society? And I think um, as a healthcare worker that we should really design our society based on ethics of care um, and human need and not around, um, you know, ethics of greed and, and profit, which is really how the healthcare industry is designed right now. Um, It's interesting that you're talking about, like, the Teachers Union um, and their struggles around health care right now, because, you know, I think we've seen in, like, a lot of big labor struggles across the country um, that health care costs become, like, one of the main sticking points and sources of conflict in um, labor and management negotiations, like, I think about a year, year and a half ago, in New York, um, I think maybe it was the whole East Coast. Verizon was like on strike, and it was one of the biggest strikes in a long time, and it affected thousands of workers. And one of the um, one of the main things that they really got stuck on was healthcare costs. Um, and this is like a common story that's happening all over the country because healthcare costs are, are ballooning. Um, and, um, you know, one of the things that I'm really excited about and I think a lot of people in Vermont are excited about are uh, Bernie Sanders' proposal for Medicare for All, um, which would be a national single-payer system um, where that would be very much like Medicare but better. It would be improved, um, and it would be for the entire population. If we had a program like this that, um, you know, took care of people's health needs, <clears throat> without putting um, all the stress on um, both the employer and um, the patient with all the co-insurance and co-pays and deductibles and all that stuff, then you know a lot, it would take a lot of stress out of individual people and workers' lives. But it would also take a lot of, like, responsibility and cost out of employers' hands um, because they wouldn't have to be in charge of their workers' health care anymore, which is kind of strange when you think about it. Like, um, why, why? are health? I'm sorry. why are employers... Um, even thinking about, uh, you know, like the health needs of their their employees, it seems like sort of inappropriate. Anyway. Well, and so. the interests
2: mm-hmm. often of employers and workers are um, contradicting. So if the employers mm. are making a, a decision oh, yeah, about totally. health care, um, could you, I mean, with the Medicare for All, with Bernie Sanders' campaign and thinking about universal health care,
0: mm-hmm. how
2: is that going to... Um, like go against the pro, like go against the big industries the three big industries that you mentioned at the beginning the hospital pharma and insurance that are accountable to their CEOs and stockholders how mm-hmm. will that how will this campaign for universal health care counter that do you think or will it
7: well i mean it's it certainly will in a lot of respects like i'll I'll like address each industry because it's probably a little different for each industry but um you know so the health insurance industry will be um like probably the most immediately and most obviously affected. And, um, you know, we're working in New York State on a um, on a single-payer bill in New York called the New York Health Act, which is very similar to the, um, you know, the Medicare for All bill in the Senate, and there's another one that's similar in the House and the, at the federal level. And <clears throat> excuse me, they basically propose to eliminate the private health care insurance industry um, because it's a totally... Um, you know, it, it doesn't add any value to healthcare, um, and instead, it just creates uh, enormous administrative costs, um, and so, um, which they make really off the backs of you know people's illness and disease. Um, and so, you know, a lot of those um, those companies would essentially, for the most part, go out of business. Um, some of the workers would be able to shift to um, similar jobs in. Um, in the government where they would be doing very similar work, but a lot of them would not. Um, So for the CEOs and the people in power, you know, they would lose their jobs and their millions of um, dollars of profit that they're kind of currently um, taking out of people's health care, which I think is, like, ethically and morally appropriate. They shouldn't be making money off of people's illness. Um, And for, like, the the workers um, who will need new jobs, um, the... Um there, there have been um economic studies on this and like talks about how to handle that. And in New York, for example, we have like in our state bill we have a um a part that says that there will be opportunities for retraining. Um and uh and so, you know, as a result I think some of the jobs will people will have opportunities. <clears throat> um and I think the overall job loss will be relatively minimal, but the gains for the Um, for people's health care and also the societal gains both for um, improved health and um, huge savings uh, will be incredible Um, because currently, you know, you probably know that we uh, spend some of the most in the world um, on our health care, but we don't really get the best outcomes in the world. So that's the insurance industry. The pharmaceutical industry um, and the drug device uh, industry, medical device industry, those are kind of related they, um, right now, they are able to, um, they make huge profits, again, off of people's, like, sickness and disease. And I'm sure you've seen examples of, you know, certain drugs that cost, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Those are, like, some examples, but even, like, more everyday drugs um, the costs don't have to be as high as they are and currently they are as high as they are because um because there's no um, there's no single body who's uh negotiating with the companies on uh, on behalf of the public's health so if we had a single payer system <clears throat> which is or a medicare for all system basically a single system for the entire um, country or the state if you're talking about the state level um then that that body would be able to negotiate directly with the drug makers um, on behalf of, like, the millions of people in a state, and there's estimates that say that we would be able to bring down costs by as much as 40%, which is currently what you see in um, the VA, the Veterans Administration, Mm -hmm. um, uh, which is one example of a system that can negotiate um, with drug makers on prices. and uh, Canada is another example where Canada can um, can negotiate with drug makers on prices, and so their prices are much lower, sometimes 40% lower, than, um, like, <clears throat> the prices we see within the majority of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the hospital industry, I think, is, like, is a, um, an interesting one. They sort of sit at the nexus of, like, the insurance industry um, and the pharmaceutical industry, and um, and there's a big battle I think between public and private hospitals, um, where private hospitals uh, basically are making a lot of money off of the um, <clears throat> off of like the deficits that the public hospitals are in um I you know, I don't know about Vermont but in New York um the in New York City the uh, public hospital system is ha- facing a really great deficit um and, and meanwhile the uh you know and the the private hospital system is like flourishing <clears throat> Um, and those things are related. Um, they're related to the way, um, the like reimbursement structure is in this country. If we had a single payer system, reimbursements would be the same for all patients, um, which would really, uh, you know, do a lot to eliminate this two tier system we have, um, between, you know, public hospitals, which are essentially like where the poor and uninsured go and private hospitals where the wealthier go. And, you know, we, right now we have um, this very segregated system, um, which is both segregated by class and income, but also um, often by race. Um, and so I think that, you know, if we had a single-payer system where every patient was just considered the same um, and, you know, and reimbursements were done based on um, medical needs, then um, it would really eliminate a lot of the um segregation we see in the system and make care better overall for um for the system. It would threaten some of the um profits that I think a lot of private hospitals are making. Um and it would really improve the care that public hospitals are able to give and the quality <clears throat> and overall I think it would really improve the, the standard of care and quality like across the healthcare system. Um because um like the it, um, the healthcare standards would be accountable to the public's health um, and, and not to, like, shareholders, because it would be, um, you know, uh, dictated more by science and less by profit.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're basically, um, if you take out the words about medicine in what you're saying, you're describing our current system of capitalism in almost every... Uh, sector Mm -hmm. of society the increased privatization and the Mm -hmm. even you see like the small struggles for getting people what they need um, Mm -hmm. are fought back so heavily by Mm -hmm. people in government who are part of the um, owning class in this country but they're also um heavily financed their campaigns are heavily financed by these three major industries that you 've been talking about, so it seems yeah struggles around public education need to combine mm-hmm. with the struggles um for universal health care mm-hmm. um, so hopefully we can yeah. continue to do work together and have these conversations
7: yeah, no that's a really good point, I totally agree, you know it 's like a formula that has been trotted out um, across, like, the spectrum of human needs. So you see it in in housing, and education, um, where, just like you said, you know, basically people with a lot of wealth see this human need as a commodity, something that they can um, play with, buy and trade, and, you know, buy and sell and try to make profit off of. Um, and, you know, that comes at the expense of, uh, you know, people's, like, quality of life, health, and sometimes their lives. Um, their education, their futures, their children's futures. And, and you can see it because the people who often are, um, are doing the – um, like are sort of in the positions um to be CEOs or of these insurance companies often have you know they're not people with a health background um or any kind of clinical background they're people with a business background who have maybe done similar work um in in other sectors like in <clears throat> housing or in banking or in um, et cetera. and so they're they're coming with this you know like you said profit driven model um and seeking to really impoverish and like, sicken the population for their own profit, um, and I hope that it changes soon. Yeah. Um, I'm early in my career, and I just, like, I can't see, like, you know, having a career working in a system that's as, um, you know, the conflicts with my interests as, like, in doing service um, as a physician. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't see myself doing that for, like, my career. It seems, like, really um very, like, I feel like a very strong conflict of ethics.
2: Yeah. Uh Well, thank you. We've been talking to Dr. Runa a family doctor and public health specialist, and we're going to be doing a show in the upcoming months about the social determinants of health. So we hope to be able to invite you back on the show at that point to discuss more about what you're learning. I'd love to. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Thanks so much for your work and
3: Mm -hmm. for calling in today. (laughs) Thanks. So that, again, was Dr. Runa Ray, um, family health practitioner in the Bronx. Um, You've been listening to Indigo Radio with Becca Polk and Marisa Nielsen. Um, We're going to wrap up the show today, Um, but we wanted to let you know that this afternoon there is a film showing at the Latches called Break the Silence. Um, It's um, an event that I... Is it free, Becca? I'm not sure. I think proceeds... Sorry. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's at the Latchus, um in Brattleboro from four to six. And I know that um, all the proceeds will be going to um, Vermont Access to Reproductive Freedom, um, who will reserve the funds uh, specifically for Wyndham County patients to pay for abortion services, um, and if needed, also help pay for transportation, um, since almost all patients seeking abortion are referred out of Brattleboro, which is just what um, Ellen Schwartz was talking about mm-hmm. earlier. So all very connected here um again we hope you attend it's at four o'clock at the latches um next week you'll be joined by um kelly juno and nina kunimoto who um have interviewed dr aviva chomsky um and we hope we will see you next week yeah thanks very much for listening to indigo radio
2: and i mean i just wanted to comment Quickly, Marisa, about how um, I think the conversation about healthcare, I'm thinking about what Ellen said as a uniting force for everyone. And I think more and more um, we're being divided, and we have to com- come back to the conversation of, you know, what's happening, it's becoming winter, and what's going to be happening to the people who are living on the streets in Brattleboro. Um, How are their, how are they going to be, their human needs going to be met? And we're increasingly, there's a war against the poor, and the solutions often are blaming poor people for their own conditions. And so just to constantly be thinking about not only in healthcare, but in all of the different ways that um, our lives are impacted by a system that we live under that puts profit over people's lives.
3: And I'm just wondering what sticks out to you from the show today. Well, I think just a a final thought for me is that um, even with this Medicare for All program, uh, negotiations are still needed. And I firmly believe that um, if we are really going to achieve health care for all equitably, there will be no more negotiations, that um, there will be no more private industry, there will be no more, profit whatsoever so these compromises well maybe they will help a little bit are not going to be the end all solution thank you you've been listening to indigo radio join us next sunday